Good morning. My name's Greg Bandy. Um, so I got roped into this, kind of. Um, when Mitch was putting together the outline for his message that he gave last Sunday, there was this nice thing, and I commented on one of the bullets. He said, oh, that's a really good comment, Greg. And then the next time I see him, he says, well, why don't you talk to us about that? I'm like, what? <laughs> so, and then... I get the, the little run sheet that they produce for today, and it says 30 minutes. And I'm like, how am I going to fill 30 minutes? And then I started to do this, and I realized, how am I going to get it down to 30 minutes? It is so easy to expand it. Um, but anyway, here I am. I hope that this proves to be useful. I come as a brother in Christ to brothers and sisters in Christ. And the intent here is to encourage your faith in Christ and to to encourage you in your walk, especially as we look at this whole topic of outreach, which Mitch introduced last week. Um, kind of by way of introduction, um, probably two years ago, I decided there wasn't enough grass in my lawn. So I, I went out and threw a bunch of grass seed down. And the net result of that was nothing. There wasn't a single blade of grass, I think, new that came up from that. There were a lot of little plump birds in my yard. But there was no noon grass. And uh, so that got me going. So then I had to figure out how to go about this, watch a bunch of YouTube videos. And um, so I had my lawn aerated, which pulls all these little plugs of dirt out and kind of opens it up. And then had it dethatched, where they pull out all the dead stuff. And what it does is it uncovers the soil. There was this big layer, a mat of dead grass on top of the soil, which I think why the other seed didn't take. So I had to prepare the lawn to be able to then seed. And then I threw dozens of pounds of grass seed out there and watered it every day, every day, every day. And eventually, I started to see new little green shoots pop up. And uh, there was, you know, I came in the spring there's all this new grass, there's many more grass plants, except in a few areas, and I don't know why. I don't know why those areas didn't take it all, whereas most of the lawn did. But it's just kind of the nature of sowing sometimes, is that you don't quite know what's going to happen to that seed. You don't know if it's going to grow or not. Um, but there is some preparation that can go towards that, and that's part of what I want to talk about today. Um, I did have kind of one of those funny thoughts, so I, I wondered how long I would have to let my grass grow without mowing it before I could harvest new seed out of it, right? It'll never get there because I mow it too often, right? But there's a certain point where eventually that grass is supposed to produce little seeds. Um, maybe maybe uh, I'll be negligent and figure that out. But... Um, you know, the, the sowing process is not something that we're natural to. And what I'm hoping to do is to paint a picture that will make that a little easier for us. The uh, approach that we take, I think Jesus gave us a particular approach, and there's some things we can do to, to work into that, that approach into our lives. But also, there are what I call skills, and, and it's probably a misnomer, but I call them skills. Um, some things we can do, learn, and be that will help us in the process. Um, and this has been a multi-decade uh, quest for me is to figure out how to sow. 
Last week, Mitch shared some strategies on how to, out, how to outreach and how to share Christ with others. And the, uh, he talked about the lampstand strategy, which Christ plants churches in various communities. But then he also talked about us in one of those, the earthen vessel strategy. And so um, this is it in a nutshell. Um, we're the earthen vessels. So we're those little pots of clay and the... the the um, part of this that is kind of ironic is that God put this tremendous treasure of Jesus into ordinary vessels, pots of clay, which you wouldn't use for really fancy stuff. You wouldn't put a fancy perfume, for instance, in one of those. But it, three simple parts to this strategy. One is that we have a simple message and we stick to that Jesus is Lord we are not salespeople. That's not the intent here. It's just that we bear Christ and we bring him out and, and that's what we talk about is that Jesus is our Lord. We are bearing an attitude that's approachable, that we have ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And this comes out of 2 Corinthians 4, which we read last time, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so that third part is that we have that knowledge of the, glory, the light of Christ in us. Um, in Jesus wants us to be um, witnesses of himself. Acts 1.8 is, is a verse that many of us know. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. I want you to pick on one word there, though. And that's, and you can take down the slide. You can, one of the words is, is the word be. He doesn't say go do witnessing. Jesus didn't say that. He said go be witnesses. There's a quality of belonging to this whole notion of being a witness that is, I think, key to this. Um, those of us who have received the Holy Spirit by virtue of the new life that he's given us in Christ, we have a new life. His people know Jesus. You know, back then, the witnesses were actually people who heard him speak, who watched him walk, who touched him at times. Uh, Mary knew him from an infant. Others were his brothers and sisters. We had people who walked along him along the way, and some of them turned away when they didn't like what he said. We had people, including people who were against him, watched him get crucified. He died. They watched him get buried. They saw him afterwards. They were witnesses to his resurrection. These were all physical sightings of Christ. They watched him ascend into heaven. And that's kind of where this passage comes from. But we haven't seen Jesus. Our witness is a little different. Our witness is that of having had the Holy Spirit come into our lives and give us a new life. So what does our witness look like? 
it shows up a little differently. It presents differently. And I think it presents in a, um, in a very powerful way, but we have to make it available to people. We have to be around people to make it available. So my encouragement today is to be one of the laborers who, who sows in the harvest. In John 4.38, and there's a bunch of verses on the back of your handout that, that I'm referring to, that Jesus talks about the harvest. He says, the harvest is white, it's ready. Others have done the hard work, and you have entered into their labor. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, and we send laborers into his harvest field. A friend of mine encouraged me that it's the sowers who did the hard work. In fact, from the time I threw those little grass seeds out, improperly prepared ground, did all the watering and let it grow, it took months for it to get to a point where I was supposed to mow it, weeks to month, right? But it's probably another four to six months before those grass are going to grow big enough to actually harvest. There's a lot of in-between time sowing and harvesting that I think requires a patience from us and a perspective. Um, sadly, I think our, our Christian community enjoyed a harvesting time that has carried to now where it's all about harvesting. And that's the sad part, is that we think that it, we have to go and every person we see and harvest it, right? But that's not reality for most of us. Um, I shared Christ in the service when I was there and in college with literally hundreds and hundreds of people and saw zero people come to Christ. Zero. And that was part of what set me on a quest to figure out, okay, what's going on here? Um, am I a Christian? <laughs> I settled that. Then I thought, well, what's going on here? And I began to realize that their ground wasn't broken up. And it needed to be broken up. They needed to be aerated. They needed to be dethatched. They needed to have watering and the sow, seed sown. And we are the ones that do that. And so when we take that into, into perspective, I think we, we get a couple of things going here. And I'd like to, to first touch on why do we even do this? And I believe there's a mandate from our Lord to go do this. Um, I'm going to read out of, out of the message here, and this is Matthew 5, 14 through 16, and if you haven't read the message, it's almost like art. It's not like science. It's not going to take the, the, the Greek and do the most literal translation, far from it. It's almost a paraphrase, but you'll get it. This is probably not how you remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking. He says, here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, 
you'll prompt people to open up to God, this generous Father in heaven. There's a lot to unpack there. That is very poignant. Jesus wants us to be light bearers, to hold the torch high and to go into our places with that light burning brightly. He wants us to be intentional about that, about being a light bearer. And he wants us to, to make it part of our lifestyle, not a, an activity we go do, not visitation day. Jesus' approach is for us to go public with the gospel. And he wants us to do that. So how? If we could put up the map slide, please. Yeah, here we go. So the book of Colossians was written by Paul, and he was in prison at the time. He had been in Ephesus for three years preaching, and Colossae was a place he never visited. He never went there. He also never went to Laodicea. He didn't necessarily go to any of the churches that we then see in Revelation. So the churches in the names in yellow are, are different lampstand churches that are mentioned in the beginning of Revelation. But we know that the gospel spread there. You have the Lord talking to his people in those locations, including Colossae. Well, how did it get there? How did the gospel get from Ephesus to those places? And it was through ordinary people who went back to their towns and told ordinary people about this fantastic mystery of Christ. I would, I would uh, suggest to you that this is a good model for us to follow, to think about it this way, that, that we can take the gospel to places. Um, so, you know, the first part of this, I think there's three different ways that we can go public. Uh, one is to be an active part in your community outside the church, to be yourself and to learn to sow. On this first point, to be an active part of your community outside the church, I want to make the point that you're an, out, you're an insider here. So when, when Epaphras went from Ephesus back to his hometown of Colossae, he was an insider. He was a Colossian. Paul wasn't. Paul was an outsider to them. But Epaphras grew up there. And we also read about Philemon and his runaway slave Onesimus. They were also Colossians. So you had these people who were just insiders to their group. Well, let me give you a definition. Uh, Jim Peterson provides a definition for what an insider is. And this is a powerful notion. Um, it can be abused, but I don't, think, I don't think it has to be. Insiders are Christians who see a person's everyday arena of life as the logical place of ministry. The sets of relationship that are unique to us should be our God-given arena of service. Well, what does that mean? You are an insider to places that no one else is. If you work over at, at, a, at Knowles or at GERD, Mitch can't get in there. He can't be that insider, but you're already there. In your office, you are the insider. In your bowling league, you're an insider. What does that mean? You have these natural relationships with people outside the church, and you're one of their friends. 
This is not a heavy lift in, for most of us. We're not like the folks in Kazakhstan at the moment who are being persecuted. And a great deal of our New Testament speaks to the persecution that they were encountering in various kinds. Remarkably, we don't have a lot of that. We do have opportunity, though, to be a light where we are and with the people that we know. Um, Jesus sent us into the world, and I think this mandate is, is kind of a follow-on to what I was saying a minute ago. In John 17, he says, I do not ask, and he's praying. Jesus is right, this is the night before he dies, by the way. And he's praying to the Lord, to his Father, and he says, I do not ask that you take them, being the disciples, at that time the apostles, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And that notion of sending is where we get the word missionary from. But it is a general thing that, that God wants us to do. That's why we talk about outreach. It's something that the Lord wants us to do. Um, in the passage that Adrian read, last couple verses, says, Walk with wisdom toward outsiders, meaning those who don't have the faith in Jesus. They're not part of the the believing church. Make the best use of our time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And this is an important instruction on how to handle ourselves. There's a lot of little bits in there about how we interact with the folks that we are in the bowling club with. But I want to pay attention to that one phrase, seasoned with salt. It's easy to kind of flip over that. I think it's reasonable to, to interpret that, that we're meant to be sowing. We, we sow a little here. It's not like we're going to go and create a salt flat on this person and dump, dump this, you know, a big truckload on them. No, we're, we're walking along and throwing a little bit of salt here and a little salt there, and we're making the aroma of Christ attractive to those that we're interacting with. I don't think that happens naturally. I think it requires that we be a little bit intentional about this, and we make it a lifestyle. And, and I think we could do a lot about helping developing our own ability to be good at that, um, which is why I kind of referred to these things as skills. We'll talk about those in a minute. But basically, we sow. And I think that's a huge part of what we're asked to do here. The second part of this, going public, so being active in your community and how you do that matters. The second part is be yourself. Um, there's some folks here that are really good at, at breaking through strangers and talking to them out of the blue. Um, I'm not one of them. I'm definitely not one of them. I'm pretty timid. And uh, yet, each of us brings unique talents, backgrounds. We're different places in our, in our experience with Christ. We have family members, we've got um, skills and interests. Uh, some of you might be interested in, in computer games. I don't play a lot of those. But to those that you play computer games with, you know, you, you can be yourself. I, was, I spent about an hour yesterday talking with a guy who was polishing his new Audi. Beautiful car. And we got talking about it, and he was scraping the little stickers that dealers put on there, and he was scraping them off and polishing it. I saw him at 6 a.m. out there the other morning working on something. Uh, he loves his car. We talked about his car for an hour. I think those are methods, if you will, but not even that way. It's just a way of interacting. I went across the street and said, hey, Tim, what's up? 
in, what a great car. This is really a nice car. <laughs> um, but God wants us to be light bearers with who we bring to the table, who we, who we are. So you don't have to be somebody else. In fact, this may be one of the most liberating comments I have to say today, is that you really need to be yourself. You can't, cannot be somebody else. I almost had a little slide of pie pie. I am what I am, you know, but the, the thing was copyrighted. But, you know, he, he just who he is, right? Those big forearms and... I am who I am. I, you come into it and you don't have to be ashamed of that. You don't have to double guess yourself. You can come as you are. And that's enough. And why is that enough? And we'll talk about that in a second. I think the third thing, so we talked about going public, being an active part of your community outside the church, being yourself. The third part is learning to sow. And I have touched on that quite a bit. I think this is a hard topic for many of us. We don't know how to do it. But if we can accept it, we have more, many more opportunities to sow than we do to harvest. Many, many more. Most of the people that we know need us to sow to help them better understand Jesus. In some cases, we may be one of the few people that are in a position to actually talk to them. And so we need to become good at sowing so that our lifestyle takes on that quality and we're, we're seasoning with salt along the way. If you're like me, going public to outreach and to talk about evangelism and, and sharing our faith, you'd probably rather be working on the church septic system. <laughs> Am I right? That would actually be a more comfortable task. We'd, we'd feel a little more comfortable with that. But the notion of talking to our neighbor or to our family member or to a coworker, or to somebody on our bowling team, that could be much, much more scary because we're not quite sure how to do it in a way that's not going to completely mess up, right? We're, we're afraid of that. And, and a lot of times we're just afraid of, of, uh, of uh, pushing them away. As followers of Jesus, Jesus wants us to spread the good news, but we have this earthen vessel thing going on. We're not fancy people. Most of us aren't going to be attractive in, in that fancy way. We're going to be pretty ordinary. Um, so I think there's some, there's some what I call love and walk skills. So we talked about the approach of going public but I think there, there are some things we can do that will help us in our love and walk skills. Um, and they, they allow us as ordinary people to help other people we know in our natural arenas to move closer to Jesus. And these things, these skills that I'm talking about are not meant to be tips. It's not like a TED talk. It's not like a how-to YouTube video. It's really meant to be more about the kind of people we are? How do we become that kind of person? Um, and they're not really skills either. I kind of needed a catchy phrase, but, you know, so rather these are more inner life considerations. And so as we look at those, think about who you are in the context of this. Who, who, uh, 
how you see others, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, we're Jesus followers. Hello. There we go. Um, so a genuine follower of Jesus is the best witness to others. That's kind of the premise here. We want to be true to Jesus in our daily interactions with those most important to us. And hopefully, hopefully that will help us to get our kind of our mind and our spirit engaged a little bit. And I'm trying to encourage that because I think it's easy to go flat. Um, first thing, and this is so obvious that it's like, duh, is to love your neighbor. So we have the Shema, right? You love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And what's the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. Um, I get a kick out of Romans 13.9. And this is just my sad humor, so you'll have to bear with me here. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So don't murder your neighbor. <laughs> right? That, that would be unloving. Um, as is all the other laws that are in the Old Testament, those things that are pro prohibitions against how we treat one another, that's unloving. So we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We wouldn't go around um, stealing from ourselves or committing murder on ourselves. That's, that's unloving. So I think this is a huge vista of opportunity for us to learn how to love our neighbor. Uh, from what I've observed, and not necessarily pointing any, anything here, but it, just the things you hear about it with in terms of judgment, there's probably many opportunities where we as a larger body of Christ have not done a good job in the areas of racism or uh, the sexual gender thing or in how we handle women or how we handle different people of economic status. And it's kind of natural that we behave the way we do. But Christ calls us to a higher calling. And I'm not saying it's an easy thing, or that, and I'm not coming here and saying, I got it figured out. But it, it's a calling to loving our neighbor and putting some serious teeth into that. On the back of the handout are some passages on love um, below the line there. And while I don't want you to get lost in reading all of that, I'm pointing it out at the moment because those passages on love, this was super helpful to me. Uh, Colossians 3.12 in particular was super helpful to me that when I realized that we should be having a compassionate heart, we should be kind, we should be gentle, we should show patience. Patience was the one that grabbed my attention. I can tell when I'm being impatient. I don't always know when I'm being unloving. In fact, that's kind of a hard one. I'm loving right now. Yeah, sure. No, you're, you're being a jerk, right? I know when I'm being impatient, you know. Come on. Go, go, go. Right? Push, push, push. Well, I know when I'm being that way. So I can work on being patient, to have a longer fuse, to be unoffendable. 
There's about 30 things in those three passages. 1 Corinthians 13, we read it all the time, but taking a fresh look at it from this perspective, how would we take one of those, just one of those things and apply it to our lives such that we begin to grow in that area? Like for me, it was patience. Are you kind? Are you kind in your words? Are you merciful towards the person who... I had a friend named Stan who had a gift of mercy and he was so annoying. (laughs) I could not believe how much he held things up because he was always wanting to care for the next person. I'm like, let's go. And he'd say, be patient, Greg. And I'd say, well, get going, Stan. You know? (laughs) It's just kind of the way it is and we all have that. Um, So I really want to encourage us to think about how we can how we can Break that down, figure some stuff out, and then take it forward. A second skill would be to live as though everything, everything is sacred. There's a phrase called sacred and secular where some people will come to church and they're all holy and whatnot, and then they go out into their job place and they're cutthroat and they're nasty people. They, they live as if God doesn't exist in the workplace. When I was in boot camp in the Air Force, there, we had Iranians there back when we were friends with them, in the Shah. And uh, they were kind of cool to watch march because they, had, they, they would swing their arms like this when they march. Um, but I got to know a couple of them. And there was the secular Iranians and there was the spiritual Iranians. And so the secular Iranians, they were all spiritual when they were in Iran. But when they came to America, it was wine, women, and song. It was, they, God did, God I think Allah stopped at the border of Iran. He didn't come into America. And they were the most vivid example for me. And I was a young believer at that point. Most vivid example for me of somebody who has that dichotomy in their head. They had the $1,000 wristwatch on. They had all these fancy things. This other guy, for whatever reason, he thought Allah came with him to, to America. And he lived so differently. So differently. Um... The, uh, that dichotomy is very real. And so we need to live as if everything is sacred. God is with us. And wherever we go, God is with us. And with whomever we interact with, God is with us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And that should be something that letting your light out, that's a skill. Um, we don't treat work and, we, you know, being impatient at work is not okay. Being unkind at work is not okay. Being a cheat in a business deal is just not okay. There's things that as a Christian we have to maintain that, that genuine relationship and connection to the Lord. So, loving your neighbor, living as though everything is sacred... And I think that, 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 you know, kind of a final comment on that is that in Colossians, the passage we read about, that walking in wisdom with outsiders, this is a big piece of that. One of the things that, that uh, we see in 1 Timothy 4.12 are what I think of as, you can think of it as different ones. It could either be landmines. If you're violating them, they, they could be guardrails if you're looking for something to kind of help 
nudge you back in. But what are the five things that he mentions there in 1 Timothy 4.12 that he wants Timothy to pay particular attention to? He wants him, and I think by extension it's reasonable for us, to pay attention to our conduct as we live, that we pay attention to our speech, to how we love, that we maintain our strong and vibrant faith in Christ, not turned aside from bad doctrines, etc., and purity. And in particular, the context almost always is sexual purity, be it pornography or with a person. Um, and it can be in your mind, it can be in for real, but there's just there's these major areas where these can be good checkpoints to help keep us on the narrow path that Jesus wants us to walk in. The third one would be to engage people. And what do I mean by that? Um, it's really easy to have that superficial, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Um, I listen to coworkers all the time, you know, hi, how you doing? I'm going to find you. It's like a single word. Um, and, and everybody knows that's going to happen. There's nothing meant by it, and now you're into the work task. And that's okay. But imagine that you fall into that with everybody. You're superficial with everybody. That's easy to do. I think it can be harder. When you bump into somebody who you don't know or they're different than you, take time to learn from them. And it's going to require you to turn off the judgment switch. You can't listen to the Iranian who believes very differently than you do and, and beat on him. You're going to find in the workplace, especially in our diversity and inclusion emphases these days, we have a mar- marvelous opportunity to find out what are the deeply held beliefs and passions of people who are there. If we think that that's our opportunity to poke them in the nose, you're not going to get very far of understanding what's important to them. And correspondingly, you probably will lose the opportunity to any effective sowing. It'll be like that first set of grass seed I threw out there. But if you take the time to get to know them, the life of Christ is very real. And you don't know when it's shining out of you, when they're picking up on it. You don't know that. So you want to be able to be real in your relationships with people and to take a genuine interest and find out where they're coming from. You don't have to defend God. You really don't. You can, it's okay for you to walk, while not losing your focus on Christ, to walk backwards and understand where they're coming from and just keep walking back and listen and ask questions and learn. You may find that there's a handle that's offered to you as you do that that gives you an opportunity to talk a little bit about their walk with Christ or their, their spiritual journey. The fourth would be to encourage one another in sowing. Right here. We have structures built into our services. Take advantage of the service, the Sunday school, the Wednesday night, life groups. Plug in. Get fed. And this I would go back to Mitch's diagram from last week. With the little dots, you, know, you gather and you talk, and then you disperse. We all disperse someplace else. Then we come back in and we, we get built up and encouraged and then we disperse. And we're out there in the community. And, and hopefully we're sowing. 
And we come back in and we get pumped up and we get some of the, some of the wounds healed maybe, a little encouragement, and we're back out there again. And there's a rhythm to that life where we have a place to stand right here. We have places that we go. And as we do that, we, we bring the light of the knowledge of Christ into our world. So those are parts of how we can develop skills to be a bearer of the light of Jesus. And so on the back, um, there, or in the front, I guess, with, there's some practical things to take with you. And these are take-home assignments. But look at those passages below the line and see if there's one that the Lord would have you to, to grow in. From Colossians 4, identify maybe an area or an arena where you can be watchful in prayer. Identify somebody that you can deepen a friendship with, to engage with. And what's a non-church area that you could, uh, an arena that you can participate in if that's not something you're doing today? Get out there and, and be part of that community. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God and, and for the mandate you gave us to go and, and to be light, to be sowers. And if, and if you should so bless us to be able to lead somebody to Christ, but along the way we, we want to be laborers. Our heart and heart is to share Christ with people and to lead them to you. And we would just ask you to help us to take encouragement from this as we walk with you. And we lift it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.